beautiful Tuesday it is. A great February, the 13th, one day before Valentine's Day. I am your host, Drew Busney, with you on WRUC 89.7, the first station in the nation, live from beautiful Union College in Schenectady, New York. I am with you from the Reamer Campus Center, with you for a longer show today, as I Shortened the show last week due to technical difficulties. So, sit back from wherever you are, your couch, your car, work. Sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy today's show. So, let's get to the headlines before we begin. As the whole world knows, Sunday night, the Chiefs defeated the 49ers 25-22 in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl became the most watched TV program ever. Ever. In the golf world, some big news as the WM Phoenix Open is going to think about their policies on selling drinks and admissions after the chaotic and crazy and merely what I think entertaining weekend that just occurred with fans going all over the place. The limitation of beer selling, not letting fans into it. More developments coming out from this past week's, but the biggest news in PGA is the return of Tiger Woods, who will make his 2024 debut at the Genesis Invitational in Los Angeles. Yesterday, he debuted his new clothing line with TaylorMade titled The Sunday Red. That is after he ended his partnership in the last month with Nike. Going around Boston sports, the Celtics will play the Brooklyn Nets tonight in Brooklyn. That game tips off at 7.30 on NBC Sports Boston. The Bruins play host at TD Garden to the Tampa Bay Lightning. That game has puck drop at 7 p.m. on ESPN Plus and Nesson. And with the conclusion of the Super Bowl, that means the end of the 2023 NFL season. That means we can look forward and get into full throttle for the 2024 draft, preseason, regular season, and the next Super Bowl in New Orleans next February 9th. With the mutual parting ways of Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo has almost finalized his staff with an official statement being released next week, hopefully. But of the big names is new offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt, who has been with the Cleveland Browns in recent years. And yes, we are talking with him now. All focus has been on the Super Bowl, the end of the playoffs. And with that behind us, we look forward to hopefully the return of the original dynasty of the 21st century, that of the New England Patriots. Now, Alex Van Pelt, he's a QB guy out of all the positions in the offense. Definitely someone who is quarterback focused and very good in that development. He's on the older side, not what I originally wanted. He is 53, year old, 53 years old, and I stated before on the show that I would have liked to go on with a younger guy, even though it could have been a one-and-done type of deal. But from reading about Alex Van Pelt, the age is no longer a factor for me. I like the direction that Mayo and Wolf, Elliot Wolf, sorry, chose. Again, Elliot Wolf coming out that he will be the de facto GM That comes after multiple new hires have ties with him to the Packers and other stops he has had among the NFL. Now, Alex Van Pelt, 
the one limitation he has is he's not a play caller. He's called one game the past couple years. Yes, it's a playoff game. Yes, the Browns won. They beat the Steelers. But he does not have a history of play calling. And what worries me there is with the combination of a new play caller, a new game management, new head coach, new defensive coordinator, new special teams coordinator is the, the game management. When are we going to take a shot? When are we going to run the ball? When are we going to call a timeout? All the little things that can force a team to lose a game are now something to watch out for. Because with Bill, he was very good at managing the game. We're going to call timeouts before the two-minute warning here, after it here. We're going to run the ball on this play. I know we're going to take a shot here. And with a whole new wealth of experience and a whole new beginner cast, if you want to call it, that's now coming into question a little bit, is are they going to make the right decisions? Is it going to be mistakes in the first year and it's going to take a year for them to figure out what to do? Who knows? But it's a little risky and there could be some times at the end of the game where the coaches mismanage the play calling and the time management and it's going to be frustrating on the fans, but we just parted away with a 20-year coach, so... I'm warning you now, You're, you might be mad in the moment, but this is your warning. This is your warning that it's going to happen. You have to be ready for it. You're going to have to anticipate that there are going to be mistakes going to be made. But the big debate now with the new play caller and the new offense coordinator is with the third pick in the, overall, in the draft, are we going to go Marvin Harrison Jr., probably the most valued wide receiver prospect ever, or are we going to try and pick a quarterback or the third option which has been rumored the past couple of days are we going to trade back maybe even at, out of the first round all those questions around us but with the hiring of Alex Van Pelt it for sure seems like they're going quarterback because him and the addition of longtime assistant coach Ben McAdoo from the Panthers all signs point towards going quarterback not only has Alex Van Pelt worked with the guys of Joe Flacco this year's comeback play of the year but he has also worked with Aaron Rodgers. Now, Ben McAdoo, the recent hire on the offensive front, he's 46, 46, has multiple connections with Van Pelt from the Green Bay Packers, and he's been a quarterback's coach most of his life. Now, McAdoo's offensive background, and he was the head coach for the Giants 2017-18, it has led him to make headways in predicting quarterback potential. Now, in 2017, while with the Giants, he was quoted to love Patrick Mahomes and even wanting to trade up for him. Well, that did not happen. Mahomes has gone on to now win three Super Bowls and entered his name in very good quarterbacks. I'm not going to say greatest of all time because Tom Brady is, but he's entered his name into some of the best quarterbacks of all time. And the year later in 2018, Ben McAdoo ranked the quarterbacks as number one, Josh Allen, number two, Lamar Jackson, then Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Mason, Josh Rosen, Mason Rudolph, and Baker Mayfield. Now, we all know that Sam Darnold was the first quarterback taken. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen were taking very far down the order. But in the initial ranking by Ben McAdoo, he had probably the two best quarterbacks in that draft class as one and two, which was the correct order. So with all this around us and the quarterback-focused staff and the ability to evaluate the quarterback. As much as you don't want to hear it, it comes down to Mac Jones. Because as I reported on, I believe two shows ago, there was an obvious tension between Bill Belichick and Mac Jones to the point 
where there was no communication and no talking and the point where Mac Jones felt ousted and the point where he cleared his locker. He probably, if Bill Belichick was a coach, had no attention to ever go back into the Patriots locker room. But it is not known if Jerron Mayo does not like Mac Jones and with the additional hiring of quarterback-focused guys, I believe if these quarterback wizards, if you want to call them, Ben McAdoo and Adam Pout, see potential in Mac Jones and draft Marvin Harrison Jr., I would feel some comfort. Because these are two that have worked with all-time greats, in Aaron Rodgers, in Joe Flacco, in a bunch of quarterbacks that have done good things in the league. And so although I don't really know them, and I've never really paid much attention to them, I trust them in the sense that if they see value and they see potential in Mac Jones and or Bailey Zappi, then I'm fine with keeping them. Because maybe it was Bill Belichick's offensive mythology. Maybe it was the way Bill Belichick ran his organization that Mac Jones just did not vibe to. And so now I look at it as if McAdoo and Van Pelt, if they can get him right, I don't, we don't need a quarterback at the third overall pick. I would be fine taking Marvin Harrison Jr. if he's on the board. And if not, trade back. Because if they view our current quarterback room as manageable and can have us win the Super Bowl or at least make it to the playoffs, deep in playoff run, then I am okay with that. But I think the real test is what they do with Mac Jones. Because if McAdoo and Van Pelt come in and say, no, he's cut, then we can all see Bill Belichick as this wizard who knew it from the start, who knew at the start of this year when he wanted Baker Mayfield that Mac Jones was not cut out for the league. So it can go two ways. We can either see how right Bill, Bill Belichick was or how wrong he was. Now, I've learned to never count out Bill Belichick and his wizards and his uh, smartness, sorry. But I have a feeling he's going to get cut. And I have a feeling we're all going to sit back and realize Bill Belichick was right and Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft were wrong. And that maybe the fall of the dynasty was never on Bill Belichick and maybe it was on Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft. And if you listen to Radio Row at the Super Bowl this week, on 98.5 The Sports Hub, Michael Felger got into an argument with Mike Lombardi, longtime football guy insider worked in the Patriots organization they got into a huge fight which I find was hilarious about does Felger give too much blame to Bill Belichick even when things are going right does Felger roast Belichick too much and all the blame's on and when it shouldn't be now Lombardi argues that Felger's too harsh to Bill and that it's beyond the scoreboard it's beyond the score that there are things beyond just what happens in the game that the coach may not have his control or maybe Bill Belichick did not do right and I think this is a telling, is if Mac Jones stays and Bailey Zappi stays. Now, if they stay, yes, Felger's right. Bill Belichick was wrong. He was the demise of the dynasty. But if there's some way that these two quarterbacks stay, Felger's in the wrong and Michael Lombardi's in the right. And that it went beyond Belichick. And maybe it was tension between the coach and the ownership. And the ownership was wrong in this case, but they are the ownership, so they have final say. But it makes you wonder that maybe the Crafts were too involved and they just didn't have enough football knowledge to back it up. And Bill Belichick was right. And maybe by getting the Crafts out of the picture and out of the decision-making process, maybe Bill Belichick could have led the Patriots back. Because we all know 
that Bill Belichick did not want Mac Jones going to this season, but the Crafts pressured him into keeping him. And guess what it led to? It led to a terrible season. Absolutely terrible season. And that's where we're stuck with right now. So, the legacy of Bill Belichick is in question the next few weeks as we lead up to the draft in April. We will see if he's an all-time magical human being who knows everything. Or we will see, basically, if he's a fraud and Tom Brady led him to six rules. Now, I'm not saying with that past statement that coaches don't matter. It was shown the importance of coaches this past weekend in the Super Bowl, mainly in the overtime, where report after report have come out that the Chiefs had multiple meetings about the overtime rules as the playoff overtime rules are different. Now, in the playoffs, both teams get a chance to possess the ball. Now, the time doesn't matter. And that was the question that Tony Romo answered for us, that even if the 10 seconds ran out in that first overtime period, it will go to a second quarter, second overtime period, because the Chiefs have not finished their first possession of the ball in the overtime period. Now, on the other hand, the 49ers, they never went over the overtime rules. Most players learned of them when they were on the Jumbotron in Allegiant Stadium. And we've sit back and we say Tom Brady was the greatest. He led Bill Belichick. He led the dynasty. He was everything. But then you sit back in the Super Bowl and you see just how important coaches are. And it was Andy Reid out coaching Kyle Shanahan here in the overtime. It was two things. It was knowing the rules and frankly, you shouldn't take the ball first. And I sit here and I look at it like hockey shootouts. When you win the toss in hockey shootouts, you shoot, you shoot second. Because if the other team goes down and score first, they get the first possession, they go down and score, they score a touchdown. The Chiefs' plan was always to come down and score a touchdown and go for two and win the game. In this case, the 49ers never got a touchdown, so all the Chiefs needed to do was a touchdown, and the two-point conversion was never, never, never in factor. But you can also look at it as the 49ers, before they got to the red zone, they only had three plays. Because if they got to 40, four, fourth down, sorry, and they had 80 yards to go, they were going to punt. But you look at the Chiefs, who no matter what, had to score. So they had four plays no matter what. So they had one extra play on each set than the 49ers did. And there's just so many advantages when you look at every angle of it to two seconds. So why did the 49ers not? Was it a lack of coaching expertise? Was it, frankly, to say stupidity? Who knows what it was? Who knows what the 49ers were thinking? I can't go back in time, go into the meetings, travel all the way to Vegas and figure out what they were saying. But at the end of the day, it was a coaching mistake because if you look at it, the Chiefs never really got in a groove in the game. They scored their first touchdown because of a muff punt. They got penalties. They got times when the 49ers blitzed when they shouldn't have and it left wide open coverages down the field. And I don't want to make the bad statement that people always make that the 49ers lost the game, the Chiefs didn't win the game, but it's frankly true. The 49ers made butthead decisions. And by butthead, I mean dumb decisions. Decisions that lost them the game. Decisions that if they chose the other option, they increased their percentage to win. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the coaches. It comes down to Kyle Shanahan, who is now known for blowing leads in the Super Bowl. 
And so you sit back and you let the two days since the Super Bowl happen, you let that pass, you process your thoughts, what happened. And I'm sitting here right now and I think Kyle Shanahan should be fired. I said it for Sean McDermott and that hasn't happened yet. But yes, Kyle Shanahan led them to multiple NFC championships and Super Bowl games. But he never got over the hump. They've stayed losers for 50 years since they won their last Super Bowl. So I call for his firing. Because they have a stacked team. They have a one of the best rosters in the football league. It takes a two-year-old to make the let them get to the playoffs. They have Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Brock Purdy, amazing offensive line, amazing secondary. I could get them to the playoffs. My dad could get them to the playoffs. Not to diss my dad, but he's not a football coach. He may know stuff about football. But he's never been through a day in a, day in a week. Sorry, a week being a football coach. He doesn't know the ins and outs. But I'm 99% sure he could get him to the playoffs. And the blowing of the leads and the coming up short, I just think it's done. I think you need to go with a coach, with Bill Belichick, who can get you to the Super Bowl and win you the game. Because it honestly, it would be perfect for Bill Belichick to come in. Already amazing roster. He doesn't have to rebuild. He gets in. He wins. So if I was in the 49ers organization, to be frank, that's what I would want. Because you want to win now. You want to get over the hump. It's been 50 years since they've won. You want to get back to your winning raise if you're San Francisco. So to be frank, Bill Belichick seems like the best option. You dump Kyle Shanahan and you go with Bill Belichick. It seems like a no-brainer. You want to win, you want to win now. You go with the coach that's won six Super Bowls who who may not win you the game best just for this coaching, but he will 100% not lose you the game by making bonehead mistakes and not getting his team prepared. Bill Belichick will have the team prepared for every situation. And may at the end of the day, the players will win it, but it won't be Bill Belichick's fault if they lose because he will get the team ready. So if I was a 49ers media person, if I was a fan... This thought wouldn't anger me. Honestly, I would probably be happier having Bill Belichick as my coach for two years than keeping Kyle Shannon for five. Because, Frank, you could probably win two Super Bowls with Bill Belichick and zero with Kyle Shannon in those time frames. So, that's how I see it. And that's our football portion and our show today. The first 20 minutes gone by. Wow, very fast. Again, just a reminder, you are listening to WRUC 89.7, the first station in the nation, live from Schenectady, New York. Again, I am your host, Drew Busney, with you for about three more Tuesdays this month, about three, four more shows till we get to about March 8th-ish, around that date. We'll be taking a two-week break, and we'll be back April to June, every Tuesday with you before our summer break. So just a couple more in our winter session, but a lot to come this spring. So as we wind down this part of our journey together in the winter just known the spring we'll have Celtics playoffs Bruins playoffs Red Sox to get to the draft to get to so stay tuned for all the announcements from when I will not be on the air but again thank you for joining me today and again our sports stories stories sorry 
our third segment in this reoccurring um, section of our show. We'll be returning today. This week is Ted Williams in Korea, so stay tuned. That will come your way probably about 5.35 p.m. So let's get back to it. The Red Sox, the garbage team in Boston, a team that said they would go full throttle and lied and lied and lied to their fan base. They just got up and they told us what we wanted to hear and they never had an intention to do it. Sam Kennedy on truck day, which was last week, said, we're going to develop our players. We're in no mood to go out in a free agency. We're going to develop. We're going to mean the long-run development of our younger stars. That's not what they said at the end of the season when they said they're going to go full throttle and spend money. They lied to us. And we were, we were all gullible. It's all our fault. We really thought they would get up there and they would tell us the truth. But Sam Kennedy, John Henry, and Tom Werner are all a bunch of liars and they need to be out. They need to sell the team and get out. They have no right to own the Red Sox, Liverpool, the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have no right to own any of these teams and make them seem like jokes of a franchise. And yes, I'm angry because I love Boston sports and I want Boston sports to win championships. And with the current ownership stake of the Fenway Sports Group and Sam Kennedy and John Henry and Tom Warner, that will never happen ever again. And if it does, it will be out of total luck. It is totally absurd that these three are continuing to run the Red Sox and they are making it seem like a total joke of a franchise, one that will never amount to anything ever again. 2018, for all we know it, is our last World Series championship for the eternity of the lifetime. They need to be gone. Sam Kennedy, president of baseball operations, has done nothing but drive this team into the ground, so is John Henry, because he has not put out his wallet and said, here's some money to spend. Instead, every sports team they own is having the same, same problems. Austin, Fen- Austin, Austin Boston are, angered, are angry. Liverpool coaches left because of the unwillingness to pay. He has left. They are the first in the Premier League, and he's left because he does not want to deal with this ownership stake. And while all this anger is going on, Fenway Sports Group invests billions of dollars, or maybe millions, absurd amount of money into the PGA Tour. So they come to us and say, we're going to spend money in free agency. And then they don't, and they spend the money that they promised the fans on golf. What about the sports you already own that are failing and are, have fans angry and pissed at you and are not going to do well? What about that, Fenway Sports Group? It is absurd what they are doing. They need to sell the team. It is absurd. I don't know how I can be a fan and sit here and watch the games when they drive up the price on Nesson, they make Fenway Sports, Fenway Park, sorry, a tourist trap. They are only interested in making money and not dishing it out. They are bad for Major League Baseball. They are bad for Boston, and they are bad for the Red Sox. It is time they get out. They go to Cancun. They live the rest of their life on a resort doing nothing because that's what they do. They do nothing. 
It is completely absurd that they are still in their position of power. Completely and utterly absurd. For all I know, all trust is gone. And we're going to sit here and we're going to get to June and they're going to be in last place by a million games and they're going to go through the same circus act. Oh, we're going to spend money. No, you're not. Stop lying to the fans. Tell us the truth. Don't stand behind a wall and hide yourself and promise this and that and then go in and spend all the money you promised us on a whole nother industry which you've never been linked to before. They need to be gone. They should boycott Fenway Park and the Red Sox. It is completely and utterly absurd. The Celtics have two more home games before the All-Star break. A home and home with the Nets today in Brooklyn, tomorrow in Boston. And it's been rough the past couple of games. I know they're probably tired. It's been a long season so far. A lot of traveling and a lot more to do. Couple blown leads, couple games where they don't really play well. And it comes down to them in the crunch time. And... I said before, I'm not really mad about that because this past Sunday afternoon in Miami, they blew their lead and it got to the point where they were struggling as they've done in the playoffs as, you know, end of the game, their offense isn't really working. The crowd is loud and it's a whole jeep of mess, a whole jumble of mess. And it ta- it, it's hard for them to get back on track. And I felt like that's what's been happening the past couple weeks. They kind of lose track midway. Stuff gets out of hand. They're kind of all over the place. And what I've seen multiple times is that they're able to right the ship. They're able to correct their mistakes, even while the crowd is blaring, booing. Maybe the opposing crowd is loud. And they're not playing at their best. And they come back and they say, let's take a breath. Let's breathe. Let's go in and out. Let's tell a joke. Let's get back out there and let's play how we play. And I really like it. And I think these lessons that they're learning now and the crunch times and the fact that they don't always have their best stuff. And even without their best stuff, if they focus, they can win. And that they shouldn't give up and it's not going to get out of hand. That they can win any game they want. I think when it comes to playoff time, it's going to be great. So part of me worries that we may lose some games. But I think it's all a learning moment for the future. That's my two cents on all the Boston sports. And I know we're a little early, but let's get to our sports story to wrap off our show today. about Ted Williams in Korea and we all know who Ted Williams is amazing Boston Red Sox player slugger clutch player he's one of two members in the National Baseball Hall of Fame and the only Hall of Fame player to serve in multiple wars so I don't think that first fact is right 
Let's just go with his only Hall of Famer player to serve in multiple wars. Now, Williams was in World War II, and he returned to the Red Sox in 1946. But six years later, in our focus of the story, Williams was called into active duty again, this time to serve in the Korean War. Before that, before getting called up, he played six games early in the 1952 season. And for his last game that season before getting called out, the Red Sox held Ted Williams Day. It was in front of 24,746 fans at Fenway Park on April 30th, 1952, his last game before returning to service. They pledged to pay Williams his full $85,000 salary, and his friends even gave him a Cadillac. And according to MLB.com, this was his speech. I've always believed that one of the finest things that could happen to any ball player was to have a day for him. And being honored today with such wonderful, little adv- advanced fanfare, fanfare makes me feel humbly honored. Little did I realize in 1938 that I was joining such a wonderful organization that the Fenway Sports Group has ruined, and I would be with so, uh, and I was to be so with so grand an owner. I wish I could remain all summer, for I feel sure that the Red Sox will surprise a lot of people. I do hope your fans stick with them. This is a day I'll remember as long as I live. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, as usual, he had a tie-breaking two-run home run in the bottom of the seventh, giving Boston a 5-3 win over the Detroit Tigers. Now, during his tour in Korea, Williams flew 39 missions and was hit three times in combat. One time, he had to make a crash landing after his plane took, plane took damage on his first mission. On February 19th, what a great day, 1953, sorry, just because it's my birthday, Williams crash landed his Navy F-9F Panther jet following a mission. This plane was damaged by anti-aircraft fire, but Williams survived thanks to his piloting skills through his decade-long experience in World War II. Sorry, decade earlier in World War II. At during World War II, going back, he did take a training course to flying the F-9F Panther jet. Then he was sent to Korea, where he was assigned to the same squadron as future astronaut John Glenn. Now his 37 missions were mostly done with Glenn. Glenn told MOB.com, Ted flew as my wingman on about half these missions. During the crash, he was on fire and had to belly land the plane back in. He slid it on its belly. It came up the red way, runway about 1,500 feet before he could jump out and run off the wingtip. Glenn also went on to say, Much as I appreciated baseball, Ted Timmy was always a Marine fighter pilot. When Ted Williams returned from Korean War in 1953, he played 37 games for Boston down the stretch. He batted 407 and had 13 homers. He didn't miss time due to a fractured collarbone the following season, but in 117 games, he recorded a 345 batting average with 29 homers, and he led the MLB in OBB, OBP and OPS. In 1953, Williams was hospitalized with pneumonia and diagnosed with an inner ear infection that disqual- disqualified him from duty as a pilot. He received his discharge from the Marines on July 28, 1953, and was back with the Red Sox two weeks later. What a great hero. What a great boss, baseball player. What a great Red Sox and symbol of Boston. 
Ted Williams. Thank you very much for joining me today. Again, I'm Drew Busney. I will see you next week. Hopefully, the streaming link will be back up. Thank you again for joining. Have a great day. If you are in the blizzard, stay safe, drive safe, stay warm, drink some hot chocolate. Thank you again for listening. See you next week.